This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt. I'm here with Hunter Fultner. I pronounced that right, right? Nailed it. Perfect. I don't want to butcher anyone's name, but I uh, got Hunter on the line today, and we're going to come and keep going with the whole coyote theme because I've just been super interested in coyotes lately, and Hunter wax a bunch of them from what I can tell. So I thought you'd be kind of, you'd be, you're going to be the expert here tonight and I'm not going to, I'm going to be the Western rookie. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I'm glad to have you here tonight Hunter. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And, uh, you know, you so see you're from why, uh, sorry, Washington. And, um, I'd never really thought of Washington as a coyote state. I mean, I think of like Wyoming, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Obviously, as coyote states, I never really think of, like, the Pacific Northwest as a coyote state. But you're probably on the east side of the state then? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I would I would definitely say there's, there's probably, in the grand scheme of things, quite a few more coyotes over there, you know, Montana and Wyoming. But there is a pile of coyotes in Washington. You know, we've been uh, tracking our kill count so far since middle of October, and we've shot 94 so far. So, and obviously we've probably missed the same amount. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, there's, and that's all within, I mean, if you were to draw a circle on a map an hour within where I live, that's all right there. So, I mean, there's still so much country we haven't touched yet. Me and a buddy were actually out last night talking about it. And I was just figuring out how you can do the whole folders thing on Onyx where you can yep. load waypoints to a folder and hide all your other ones. Yeah. And so I was able to go through and actually count how many stands I have marked. And I've got, it was like 374 different stands that I have marked. And that's not counting the ones that I have marked that I haven't actually been to yet that I I would like to check out. You know, that's just stands that I've actually sat on, called and killed coyotes on. Over the years. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's crazy. And are you doing, I know you got thermal, it looks like you had some daytime too. Are you doing both or are you kind of focusing more at thermal? So anymore thermal. Yeah. I, uh, I started day hunting, you know, running around high school with buddies doing that whole thing and we killed coyotes, but then, you know, getting older, got married, had kids. The, uh, the amount of free time I had in the daylight kind of shrunk up a little bit. And so we kind of, me and the old lady kind of got an agreement that if I'm going to be running around in the daylight, it's kind of for the big game side of things and that coyotes are, 
night only. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of the grand scheme of it all. I, yeah, I like how you say that because a lot of people probably would have said like, yeah, I got married, had some kids. I just, you know, I don't, I don't have as much time to hunt as I used to. And you're like, no, I, you know, I got married and had kids and I just hunt coyotes at night on big game. <laughs> I still hunt. I mean, that's crazy. So yeah. Like I still hunt all the time. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. No, that's cool. So, um, we've had a couple people on and you know, a lot of the coyote I think started for me cause we bought a 40 acre farm and we've been hearing a lot of coyotes on it. And I've heard coyotes in the past. I used to live in the Dakotas and, you know, hunt in the Western Dakotas, Eastern Montana. And like, it's nothing to hear some coyotes at night, you know, from camp or from the tent or see one here and there. Like it's common, right? What's mm-hmm. not common for me growing up in Minnesota is to be able to like hear a pack of coyotes through my bedroom window when I'm laying in bed at night. You know, yeah. and it's a, it sounds like a big pack. Like it sounds like six to 12. I mean, they're just yipping all over the top of each other. And mm-hmm. I've had pictures on our cell cams of like three at a time, which isn't unheard of by any means, but it's a lot. Like anytime you're getting like multiple coyotes in one picture, like you got a pretty high density. I feel like, cause we oh, got yeah. farms everywhere and it's like, go get one here, one there yeah. every night yeah. I have three of them on camera. And so so I've been interested in, I can't really thermal hunt because there's so much cover on our farm. Like it's solid, like brush, alder, mm-hmm. you know, thick. And so I've been trapping, but I want to get out west and do the coyote hunting because I think it's, man, it just looks fun. It looks, just looks like a oh, great awesome. way to throw lead down range. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Yeah, I if I always say if, uh, if I couldn't do it year round, I'd probably do it over deer hunting and elk hunting because I like it that much. But the fact that I can do it year round and those other things are selective to their seasons, that's about the only reason I bother with them. Yeah. But it's, yeah. And for the no, food. It's, a good time. it's like I hunt elk to eat. Yeah. I help coyotes <laughs> to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we've ate a couple here before, but yeah, I, I wouldn't put them up there with no elk backstrap. That's for sure. <laughs> I had coyote too, and it wasn't, I mean, as funny as it sounds, like it wasn't my choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a coworker that like got into it and shot a coyote, and he was kind of a foodie. I hope he listens to the podcast because he'll definitely know who he is. But he was kind of like a home chef, like not professional or anything, just like really enjoyed cooking and was really into learning and stuff. And so he's like, I want to cook this coyote. And I'm like, oh, yeah, be careful, trichinosis, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, And so like two days later, he stops by my desk. And he's got a plate, and on the plate are, like, three little breakfast sausage patties, warm, like sizzling, right? Like, he went and yeah. warmed them up. And we're in the office. He's like, hey, you want a coyote? Want to try a coyote breakfast sausage? And I'm like, uh, I guess, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what am I going to do? Tell him no. And so yeah, I try exactly. it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. It tastes great. And it – it it wasn't bad. It really wasn't bad. Obviously, I think he cut it with some pork to get the enough fat to bind, and obviously mm-hmm. a lot of seasoning, breakfast sausage seasoning. So <laughs> you yeah. could tell it wasn't deer. But I'm also like, how did you like take prepare this? How did you clean the coyote? Like, how hot did you cook this? Yeah, is this thing pink at all? <laughs> and then like right before I like, I'm like, he knows how he's doing it. And I just heard Steve Ranella said he got trichinosis and survived. So I guess we'll go for it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was my one experience with a coyote i don't think i'm gonna be the first to do like i don't think i'm gonna do like coyote steaks by any means yeah no that's not on the list <laughs> no uh it's kind of unfortunate because he shoots so many of them it'd be nice if they're delicious but 
be nice if their fur was still worth something. <laughs> well, so I was going to ask you about that. You shoot a lot of coyotes. Obviously, in the summer, you know, fur's, like, not worth anything at all. But when you shoot a coyote, like, in the winter, you know, what – do you try to sell it? Do you sell it in the in – the, I've heard, like, in the round basically means, like, on the hoof. Yeah, so – or just carcass. You call it a carcass round or whatever, you know. Okay. Um, we used to, uh, back when, you know, prior to COVID, uh, stuff was worth, you know, we were averaging 40 bucks, roughly a coyote, you know, you get those bigger males with the right colors and you go all the way up to 50, 60 bucks a coyote. And that's like on the hoof. Like you don't have to do any work. That was shoot it, throw it in your freezer. When the fur man comes to town, you throw it in the back of his truck and he hands you money. That's insane. Yeah. And so, but then COVID rolled around and that completely crushed the whole market because, 90% or whatever of all the fur trade is overseas and like Europe and whatnot. And so when COVID basically killed all the importing and exporting of different things, it essentially killed the fur trade because synthetic furs, fake furs was already gaining so much ground and kind of neck and neck with real fur that when real fur basically just got unable to be shipped out, then that synthetic fur was able to just really take over is from my knowledge, the way that I had understood why it all crashed. I know for sure it crashed. I just, that's my understanding of why and what happened. But right now we're sitting at a good, big male coyote, good dense fur, good color tone, about 20 bucks. But that's, I mean, that's, that's like a, a premium coyote, you know, average. And we're looking at 10 bucks a coyote and that's, you know, good shot placement, not a big hole. Um, right. A lot of goes into it. Yep. Exactly. You got to no have mange. the right winners for it. Exactly. This year we've had a, mild winter there's been spurts of snow here and there that have gotten pretty wild but i mean within a week it's been warming up and melting off i mean we had a it was like 53 degrees here yesterday so not not very ideal for fur that was the same here so yeah i don't think if i i'm trapping them for the deer or i'm trying to trap Mm -hmm. them for the deer um it's not working very well but i'm new to it so um but yeah no the whole fur market i definitely think has crashed um, you know, it, it, it was, I remember it was booming back when the, I think it was the Canada goose, um, jackets were big. And I remember people saying like they were getting 80 bucks for like a Western coyote. Yeah. Those, those Wyoming and Montana coyotes. Yeah. The money they were paying for those things almost warranted going over there for weeks at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a buddy that shot 58 of them in one weekend with him and his son. That is a freaking haul. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, it was maybe it was a three day. It was one trip. They had them all on a flatbed trailer. Holy cow. Yeah. That would be a, a picture. <laughs> pile of them. I mean, it's insane. He lives there and he yeah. was a trapper. Like he's an avid outdoorsman. Like he knew what he was doing. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was insane. That's a lot of coyotes. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, that's kind of a bummer. And I kind of want like I'm pretty concerned about it from like a conservation standpoint. Like, if you look at, like, duck populations, ground-nesting birds, um, deer predation, there are a lot of factors. Like, like coyotes and all these predators, raccoons, fox, they're just, like, wreaking havoc on things. Like, and, you know, I heard a a stat, um, I think it was on a Meat Eater podcast, but they did, like, a segment, like, on duck hunting. The guy does a Xander duck And he said... A successful duck nest is one 
one duckling hatches. Oh, my goodness. And 2% of duck nests are successful. That is a rough go at life for those little ducks. Right? (laughs) Yeah, so it's like basically saying 98% of all nests just get wiped out. And 2% of them are able to get at least one duck to live. That's crazy. Crazy. It's like a miracle we even have ducks. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the amounts. Yeah, I don't know where you sit out on on your flyways, but I'm in a fairly decent flyway right here, and I'm on Moses Lake, and then we've got a huge reservoir just to the south of us, Potholes. And so we get, for the most part, a fairly good flyway right here. And so to imagine that of all those ducks, those are the two percenters, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it is crazy. And and a large part of it is like, uh, nesting cover has diminished, so all the more ducks are nesting on less ground, and then the like they call them meso predators, but like small predators, um, they have no competition anymore, and so like raccoons are just like they just like go and be like, oh duck nest, Whoop. oh another one, Whoop. oh it's like the world's best day of shed hunting, right? Like you find a shed every yeah. three steps, it's like oh duck <laughs> nest, duck nest, oh there's more duck eggs, right? And yeah. nothing's, I mean, there's no fur market, no one's out there getting rid of these things. So I almost mm-hmm. want to like start like a an American fur coat, fur hat, like American fur business just to yeah. drive up to man so that we have like more pheasants and more ducks and more geese and all these other animals. And I know I you just get endless PR, you know, PETA, <laughs> all kinds of, you know, feet blowback, oh, yeah. but I don't know, it could go. I, I mean Look at all the products that are still made out of leather. No one's fighting that. Cause. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and and I feel if if you could just get those people one time to watch what a couple of coyotes will do to a newborn baby calf, <laughs> I'm oh. sure they'd be a lot. I'm sure they'd be a lot more in your favor. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like, there's only four ways animals die on their own, and none of them are good. Nope they're all they're all worse than a bullet. That is for they, sure. Yeah, they either get diseases and die. They get starvation and die. They get eaten by a predator and die. Or they uh, reach such an old age where their teeth wear out, and all three of those things happen. And none of those happen fast. No, like it's terrible. Versus a 300-grain yeah. bullet or 300-wind-mag bullet right through the lungs, 20 seconds. Yep. You know, so, yeah, yeah the, that's the big thing that I don't think a lot of people focus on. But, like, yeah, the, pet, the, the predator problem is – I mean, you see it, there's, like you said, you're at, what, 93 coyotes in four months. Yeah. Do you see a lot yep. of pressure when you're out there coyote hunting? Or are you kind of, like, got the... As far as people? Yeah, like, you got the place to yourself. I have seen... Sometimes when I'm planning my applications or my point strategy, I want to see what the latest overview for a state and a species is and where I stand with the number of points I have. The easiest way to get the overview of a state and a species current status is with the application strategy articles in the Go Hunt Insider Service. The team at Go Hunt puts together the application strategy articles each year for application season, and it has the latest update for that animal, the conditions in the unit, such as drought or snowfall levels, changes to the state, and details about what you can expect with the different ranges of points you might have. I use these articles for both my current season applications and when I'm looking at those options for a 10 to 15-year draw tag in a special unit. The application strategy articles are a great place to start when you are planning your fall and deciding which states and animals to apply for. 
head over to GoHunt.com and check out the application strategy articles and all the tools you get with your Insider membership, and you'll see why I love GoHunt Insider so much. It's the best collection of information on Western hunting available, and it's all in one place. And when you sign up using the code WESTERN, you'll get $50 of free credit in the gear shop. Not only is Go Hunt giving you all the information you need to plan a successful hunt, but they are also giving you $50 towards a new piece of gear for that hunt. So head over to GoHunt.com, get signed up, and you'll be kicking yourself you didn't have the insider service sooner. I mean, one guy this entire year that was out, and it was in the it was in the daylight. I was actually out after one of these snows, seeing if I could cut lion tracks, and he was out coyote hunting. That's the only guy I've seen so far this year. Usually, usually all the people that we see in the wee hours of the mornings aren't up to no good or aren't up to anything very good around here. Um, we run into a lot of the old junkies and whatnot out on public land pullouts because we're, like I said, we're not that far from town in most of our most of the spots that we hunt. And so we run into plenty of people just passed out in the front seat, needles hanging out and whatnot. Just, Ugh. yeah. I suppose you're but, not, you're not, uh, <laughs> I suppose you're sure glad to have your AR on you. Then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it helps knowing that you can see in the dark. <laughs> and they can't, yeah. They probably yeah. can't see in the light after all the activities <laughs> they do, but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know that does. I mean, I've been, I've been in some sketchy places across South Dakota, and <laughs> <laughs> there's places out there where you don't like leave your doors unlocked. Um, yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, that's kind of fun to like think about. Like, there's no one out there. There's no one doing it. Like you talk mm-hmm. about all the like, oh, everything's too crowded, too much pressure on public land, hunting sucks. Go coyote hunting. There's no one out there. Yeah. There's a ton yep. of coyotes. They're a little hard to find and track down and shoot, but you got the place to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you wanted to go even a step further, it ain't that going around asking permission, you can really be the only guy out there. And then really up your success odds too. being able to hunt coyotes that for the most part, have never heard a call before. You know, everybody talks about that elusive virgin ground that's never been called before. And um, yeah, it's, and it's a good way to work into deer hunting permission too. you know, start out couple of years hunting coyotes for a farmer and whatnot be able to show him rather than just tell him you know i'm going to close gates i'm not gonna trash your property and stuff like that and it can it can open quite a few doors for you so i got to imagine there's a little bit of hesitancy um with ranchers allowing you to hunt when they got livestock out especially at night like at first, I don't know, maybe even in the daylight. But if I was a rancher and someone came up to be like, hey, can I hunt, shoot coyotes on your land? The first thing that's going to go through my mind are a bunch of bullets whizzing past my cattle or my buildings. Whether mm-hmm. it's true or not. Like, you know, I'm on, I'm a firearm safety instructor. You know, obviously you guys do a great job as well. You know, everyone tries to do their best, but there's bad apples out there. And that's what I would, mm-hmm. if I was a producer, like that's my livelihood. And so I'm sure yeah, there's oh, a, yeah. like a step of being like, and yeah, I know what a cow looks like in thermal versus a coyote or like, you know what I mean? A lot of times, yeah, it, it, a lot of times if you can just get them to look through that thermal, yeah, that right there clears up any issues you can have, you know, um, that's one of the reasons, you know, if we are going around plan on asking for permission, we like to bring all of our gear that we're going to have with us. That way, you know, we can show them, you know, Hey, looking through this, we are, there's not a chance we're going to ID anything. Uh, incorrectly 
and you know we're running suppressors we're not going to be out here making a ton of noise in the dark you, you aren't even going to hear us you know that the most that's going to wake you might be the truck headlights when we pull in if we've got to you know come through your farmyard to be able to access the stuff out back but yeah for the most part once you once you get in there and you really show them what you're about and they actually see how serious you are about it they're fairly accepting of it because i feel like i was gonna and the same notion like there's a little hesitancy but also i've never met a a rancher that's like yeah i wish there was more coyotes around especially during Mm -hmm. calving season like right before calving season i hope the coyote population skyrockets right yeah i mean they're all on the same page none of them like them. yep and so like that part of it probably really really is you know attractive to a rancher you know once Mm -hmm. they've got the trust established knowing like you're not going to get them all but you're going to put enough pressure on those suckers that they might move off yep yeah they they definitely aren't going to be coming in as frequently that's for sure but yeah no it's talking about how they all kind of have that same mindset we were we had a rancher three or four nights ago he uh he had coyotes in there uh trying to take out some of his fresh calves first rounds and uh so we went out there that night and this was the first night we'd actually been able to bring him out on a stand with us and we were fortunate enough we ended up calling in a quad with him right there and we killed one out of the bunch and then he goes as we're wrapping it up he starts rattling off all these different names of these surrounding properties and he's like now i haven't talked to any of these guys but they'll be fine with it just have at it for the night if, if you get any flack just tell them i sent you and they won't care you know it's <laughs> just as far as that that whole group being you know pretty pretty tight niche you know ranchers looking out for ranchers and everybody having one goal and that's keeping keeping the cattle safe you know yeah no i mean that's that's their livelihood i mean they gotta do they they will do everything they can to protect their livelihood that's you know known do you um do you do much traveling for coyote hunting like do you ever be like hey man we're doing like let's go Let's do like a week. We got a week off work. We're gonna hit the. We're gonna spend a couple of days in Montana. If that doesn't pan out, we're gonna go down to Wyoming, and then we'll come back. Like, do you ever travel, or is there just like no need for it? I would say there's not really a need for it. However, every year we try to plan some some extravagant trip where we, you know, my parents live in Salt Lake City, Utah, so we plan it out where we'll drive, we'll hunt through Idaho, hunt through Montana. We got a buddy that owns a ranch south of Billings, a ways. And then we'll crash down and we'll hunt down towards uh, Wyoming and whatnot, crash with the parents in Utah, hunt through Oregon and back up. And it just, it never comes to fruition. It's one of those <laughs> things where it's like the, uh, between the wife and the kiddos. And then also, you know, I'm on call basically all winter long, you know, if snow falls, I gotta be able to, I gotta be able to go. And man, this year, it seems like the weather apps just can't get it right. You know, they'll call half an inch and then we're sitting four and, you know, two days. And so it kind of hinders my ability to just pack things up and leave. Yeah. Yeah. That is tough. I've got a buddy that's in the, he does snow removal too. And it's just him and his dad, like that's their business. And so he can't really leave, you know, they have some family members that can help if they really need it. But like when they get dumped on, it's like, okay, I'm not going to hear from Jeff for three days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, no, that was, I was just curious because for me, like that there's probably coyote hunting, in Minnesota. I mean, I know there is. I know people that hunt coyotes in Minnesota. But it's such a flat, wooded topography that it's, like, really hard to do it, especially where I am. Southwest Minnesota gets a little better, but it's still flat. 
And so the mm-hmm. thought of me like going out west for a week of coyote hunting has always been really fun to think about and just yeah. be out in the Badlands or, or in, you know, Eastern, I probably wouldn't drive all the way to Washington. So your ground is safe, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, being out there for a week, because I don't have that here, but it would make sense. if like you got all the places around town and you're shooting that many mm-hmm. anyway, you don't really have to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I, um, we had Blake Garrett on the podcast. I don't know if you know, he's just, I just a, listened to the podcast today. Oh, well, Okay, so you heard Blake say he loves a six millimeter for coyotes, and yep. so not to throw him under the bus, I'm just like, how do you go about selecting a bullet for coyotes? So, man, it, I mean, we, my story's like everybody else as far as startup. You know, it was whatever I had for shooting deer is what I shot coyotes with. You know, I shot my first one with a 300 Win Mag and put a bowling ball size hole through throughout the backside <laughs> of it. That's the only rifle I have, so that's what I would use to start with. <laughs> It kills them just as dead as everything else, you know? Um, so I shoot, I bounce back and forth between two different rigs. I have a 22 Creedmoor bolt action. And so that is that the, the six Creedmoor and the 22 Creedmoor, the parent case of both of those is the six, five Creedmoor just neck down further and further. Okay. Is all it is. So that 22 Creedmoor I'm shooting a, well, I've been running two different bullets, either the 75 ELDM from Hornady. Okay. I'm shooting that at about 3,400 feet per second. I was going to say, it's got to be the... screaming. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. What makes a Steelhead Outdoors gun safe stand out, aside from being the only American-made fire-insulated modular gun safe on the market, is the fact that you can customize your safe to be the perfect fit for you. Whether you pick one of the fan-favorite colors inspired by our national parks or one of the nearly 1,000 custom colors they offer, your safe is going to be perfect. You can even get a safe in a rust color where they actually make the metal rust to just the right level and then they seal it so you always have a perfectly rustic-looking safe. And that's just on the outside. When it comes to the inside, you can configure it all kinds of different ways by adding panels to the door, using shelves on half to organize ammo, or even adding their motion-activated light kit. I went with their brand new Recon 32 line in the awesome tactical-looking black and white, and I currently have my safe set up with lawn guns on half and shelves on the other side so I can store all of my ammo, and I love it. But the best part is it's completely modular. So as your firearm collection grows, you can configure your Steelhead Outdoors safe to match. Check out SteelheadOutdoors.com to build your custom safe. And use the code WESTERNROOKIE, one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save $150 on your Steelhead Outdoors safe. Oh, she's cooking. Yeah. yeah. And then I've shot, I've been, lately I've been shooting the 88s ELD matches from Hornady at right around 32-ish, which again, for a bullet of that weight in that diameter, that's, that's moving pretty quick. Um, and then the old trusty AR, you know, that thing sees a lot of work, especially at night when, you know, follow-up shots or it's nice to not have to rack a bolt. You know, you can stay in the gun the entire time and just transition from coyote to coyote especially when you get into those ranches and whatnot where you're calling in, you know, four five, six, seven coyotes sometimes at once. And you got to be able to just go from one to the next. When you're shooting suppressed on either rig, can you like get a second shot off before the, 
the gig is up or do the coyote is it just not work that well oh yeah no i shot i shot a triple the other day out of one group of four where it was just i mean typically between every shot they'll run they almost act like mule deer they'll run back a little bit and, and then they'll stop and look back and see what was going on and i was able to shoot three out of the group of four was that doing that is that because you're shooting suppressed like if you were to shoot like a muzzle break that's like loud would they just be so gone? there's very few instances where they won't be you know a couple of weeks ago actually we called in four and shot three of them and one of the guys shooting was running uh just a standard bird cage on the end of his ar okay and but the likelihood of that is very low yeah you will see way more of the opportunities right for follow-up shots increase with the uh with the suppressors on there 100 and it's a heck of a lot nicer nobody likes shooting loud guns <laughs> once you once you shoot a suppressor man at any time somebody offers to come out or whatnot and you, they tell you they don't have one you're kind of like yeah we'll just shoot my gun you know you can just shoot i don't gotta shoot for the night you know yeah yeah my 300 wind mag has a like one of the spot hog recoil max or not uh mm-hmm. recoil hog i don't know spot hogs my sight for my bow but it's like a 76% reduction. Like it's a huge oh, yeah. muzzle break, which also means mm-hmm. it's like a 76% increase in volume. <laughs> it's just louder. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, it, would, yeah. it would not, I wouldn't even hunt with it at night with coyotes. I mean, it would just be, unless I'm in the middle of nowhere with no houses, but like, I'm not doing that. To yeah. Land, landowners and neighbors. Mm-hmm. But, um, how far are your average shots when you're shooting? Like when you're getting them to come in, like how close do you, do you like bring I'm I'm always thinking back to my waterfall days like we want their feet almost on the ground before we start shooting if we can like we want them fully locked up and coming in right yeah where do you if, draw that line wanna, for a coyote their nose touching the call <laughs> all right That's, you know if, if they want to come all the way in we're gonna let them you know I've got a I have a small little sponsorship out of Montana and so videos are kind of my agreement with him I, I get him a bunch of kill reels and test out different equipment that he gets in for his shop and whatnot. And so obviously better footage comes with coyotes being close. So we try to work everything in as close as we possibly can, but you know, that's the great thing with the thermals when compared to the lights is we can watch and see the complete um, body language of that coyote's displaying the entire time he's coming in. So, you know, if he starts shying up or, you know, you can tell when they're starting to work for wind and they start throwing their noses up into the air, really trying to catch something. It's time to go ahead and kill them, you know, not to push yeah. it any further. Um, that and then also, depending on, we have a lot of different stands that we do where we like to sit really elevated in the night, you know, just so we oh, can yeah. see really far. And uh, I have quite a few videos showing coyotes will get into that 100-yard uh, range where they can start to kind of get the sky backdropped against you. And they'll drop their heads all the way to the ground and look up and kind of move their head back and forth to try to skyline you and try to pick you out against the moon and the stars and whatnot. And when they start doing that, it's time to shoot them too because typically they're not going to come any closer. They, they're wondering why the heck that sound's coming out of the sky. <laughs> oh, so you, when you're calling, the call's like right next to you? Yeah, in most situations, yeah. Oh, so when you say touching the call, you basically really mean like all the way into zero. <laughs> Oh yeah. No. Yeah. If we can shoot them at five yards, we'll shoot them at five yards. Do you get that sure. off? Like, have you had that? Not very often. No, they, they typically, a lot of the stuff we call at night's really wide open and they can see pretty well at night. And so they'll, they'll pick you out pretty quick. That's the, that's kind of the give and the take with the night hunting is like, 
you know, you can get them really close and really fixed up, but you can't watch them work from a long ways off. And oftentimes if you get a hard charger, you know, he'll burn in, hit the call and leave before you can ever shoot him versus you call stuff that's wide open and you give up a lot of cover. And so your shots then are extended out, you know, 50, 60, hundred yards, you know, but you're able to watch them work and able to watch them do their thing from a long ways off. And so that's, that's really cool. That's the ultimate thing is I like, I like things that can call, you know, turkeys, elk, coyotes. I like things that I can try to trick them with their own language, you know, but. Oh yeah. Are you calling mostly with coyote noises? Or are you calling with prey noises? Um, this time of year, I definitely kill way more on vocals. You know, we're coming into the breeding season here. Okay. Everything's starting to pair up and then they'll, they'll actually do the majority of all their breeding in that mid to late half of February. So we're definitely keying in a lot on those howls, those, uh, you know, early estrus sounds and stuff like that. And then coyote fights, but those work year round, you know, I still open every stand up though with prey distress because, you know, I'll open it up with a low one just in case there's a coyote right in the immediate vicinity that wants to come in. You know, we killed one the other night that we turned it, we turned the call on. It wasn't playing for 15 seconds and we had a coyote bombing in and we ended up shooting him at like 40 yards. Oh, so, that's be that's gotta be crazy, especially when they're getting in that close. Like, like if they ever, no, I, I don't fun. know, if I had a coyote at ten yards, I'd be like, holy shit! <laughs> I probably would shoot well, him on the I, way in. <laughs> I think you're in an awesome place to grab your shotgun, and just go run out into those woods with a hand call, man. I think you'd be surprised how well you'd do. Well, I could do that, but I don't have thermal on my shotgun. You can do it in the daylight. Yeah, I could do it in the daylight. I also have stands. Like I have actual like deer like i got 40 acres we got stands and stuff so i could always sit in my stands too and like put the call on the there ground. you go do like a i'm not gonna run over your feet though if you're in a tree <laughs> i don't necessarily know if i want him to run over my feet at least not for the first couple <laughs> times i mean i know like a coyote is a small dog but like i don't want to give my wife's cat a bath either like you know what i mean like <laughs> it's i don't want yeah. him that close a little <laughs> he's gonna mess me up for a while yeah yeah but yeah no i Shotgunning in the timber is actually some of the funnest stuff you'll ever do. I grew up on the coast of Oregon, and so I, I did a little bit of that. And then I got buddies that live on the west side of Washington, and they're they're big into that. And then obviously all the uh, all the MFK guys, they got a lot of YouTube videos and whatnot, running and gunning them in the timber, and it's it's fun. I should try that because we have a lot of them. Uh, the question I have, you know, I've never hunted coyotes. I've never tried to pattern a coyote like deer. I could tell you like they're gonna they're if we walk through that, we're going to blow out bedded does. And tonight they're going to be over here in this food plot. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I know I got it down. Or coyotes, like how were, you know, is there like bedding areas and feeding areas and travel? Like, can you pattern them or are they just where they are? And, or like, you know what I mean? Like, like I know where they are at night. I see them going through my food plots. Yeah. Like, are they just going to be bedded somewhere or did they like move a lot? That's what I'm kind of like. Are there even yeah. going to be any on my farm during the daylight? So I would say rather than having like bedding areas, there's kind of just like coyote home ranges, you know? Okay. And from there on, you'll have different things that concentrate them. You know, like all things, all animals need water, all animals need food, you know, and then of course cover. So daytime, you can focus a lot more on that cover. You know, that's where I think you'd, you'd benefit in that timber is that daytime. They are going to be held up in there. Uh, you know, just getting out of everybody's view, you know, you'll still see them in the fields and whatnot in the daylight, but 
the majority of them are going to be tucked away in that cover for sure. But and then other things like if you've got cattle ranches and uh, so around here, feedlots are big, you know, oh. dairies, dairies and whatnot and stuff like that. And so if you can find, if you can either get permission to be able to hunt the outskirts of that, or a lot of what we'll do is we'll just go through and look for any piece of public land as close to those feedlots as we can get. You can almost guarantee there's going to be coyotes there, especially this time of year when it's cold and food's a little bit more difficult to get to, you know, there's always going to be coyotes there. Um, and you said on that podcast, there's some gal that's runs a wildlife <laughs> orphanage yeah. and then just turns her deer loose. Yeah. So she's got, <laughs> I've never, I've talked to her once and I honestly called her. I'm like, Hey, do you have coyotes in your orphanage? Cause I'm hearing like a lot every night right behind my house, yeah. like where your house is. She's like, no, I don't have any coyotes, but that would make sense why my dog was howling last night inside. And I'm <laughs> like, you never thought about that? She goes, I have a lot of foxes. I got 40 foxes. I did a big fox rescue. And I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, no kids. Like, can I come hunt in your fox pen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure they're all full of mange. And, um, yeah. But so, yeah, she takes in does. I didn't hear it from her. I heard it from the old owner of this house that she'll take in, like, fawns from, like, the side of the highway and stuff and feed them and raise okay. them. And she's got, like, a five-foot fence. And so eventually they get big enough to just jump the fence and then maybe they jump back and then they jump out and jump back and jump out. But eventually they just leave. And her property's yeah. like a hundred yards from my food plot or one of my food yeah. plots. So I think that that's part of what's bringing more coyotes into like my areas. There's a bunch of stupid deer, stupid fawns. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know. I bet you got some big coyotes, man. <laughs> They're growing up on fawns. Oh, I've got a picture of one. I should show you this. I, Oh, man, I think it's a wolf. I really do think it's a wolf. Um, I got to find it. Where would it be? I wonder if Google Photos is smart enough if I try to search coyote. <laughs> <laughs> well, it picked up all the coyote pictures I did have, but not the one I was looking for. Um I'll have to try to find this through a timeline. I think it's, it would have been this summer, probably in July or August. After that, because I had to brush hog it first. This sucker's big, and like the body structure. I, I've had pictures of wolves. I've had pictures of coyotes. I'm honestly torn on this one. I have no idea which way it would go. But the like the shoulder and the hump and the head, like I'm just like, man, that doesn't look like a coyote to me. Have you guys had any documented sightings of wolves down there where you're at? The, the previous owner said like he gets wolf, like he'll see a wolf or hear a wolf every now and then. There's a wolf sanctuary like not super far away, which is like another like oh great. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, um, and he said every now and then they get out, and I'm like, how are they get letting wolves get out like? You know, who's... <laughs> they're doing that on purpose. They're just telling you it was an accident. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it with <laughs> a you know department, but yeah, I'm trying to find. I know this. I know I have it in a in one of my uh, folders here. So back forty, we call it the back forty because my wife and I's initials are B A K. Um, gotcha. V plot. Scroll back a good ways. This sucker. I mean, I'm torn. His body structure looks like a wolf, but he's not as big as other wolves that I've had pictures of. 
but he's mm-hmm. he, to me he looks bigger than a coyote, and I'm like, I don't know, not every wolf is big, but if it is a if it is a coyote, it's a, like a monster coyote, <laughs> probably <laughs> 50, 60 pounder. Yeah. I mean, this thing is huge. I gotta find it. I'm I apologize, to everyone listening at home. They can't even. They're they're like, man, I'm not even gonna be able to see it anyway. So why should I listen to you talk about <laughs> it for all this time? But I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I know it was a nighttime picture, and I know about what time of year I got the picture from. It was uh, right after I set up a blind in there. He did not like the blind. But anyway, I'll find it. We can keep going. But, um, yeah, I do. I do think, like, like you said, like that's why there's a bunch of coyotes in the neighborhood is because they've got an endless food supply that's not smart enough to run away from them. Yeah. You know? And so I don't know how often are you? I mean, I know coyotes are gonna wreak absolute, you know, destruction on newborn fawns, like first dropped in calves. Are you seeing, like, evidence of a lot of coyotes taking down, like, healthy, like, fall fawns or, like, adult deer? Or is it, like, really I, need, like, I've a seen it one deer? time. Okay. I've seen it one time, and it wasn't even firsthand. A buddy was out scouting. He runs a, a waterfowl guidance service, and he was out scouting birds. And he actually watched a group of coyotes kill a full-size doe, mule deer doe. Really? Just ran her down and started nipping at her, you know, hindquarters yep. and stuff? Every- Yep, everybody came in from a different angle, and they just tore her up. Yikes, that sounds like wolf behavior to me, too, you know? Like, yeah. I never, like, I've never really known coyotes to, or I've never thought of them as, like, pack animals. I've always thought of them as more of, like, a uh, a solo hunter. Yeah, no, they they definitely are running packs, especially, you know, like we were talking about uh, ranchers losing calves and stuff. For the most part, that's going to be a group effort. I mean, there's... There's solo coyotes that are going to give it a whirl, but they're definitely going to be a lot more successful the more the more teeth and claws they got going at that little calf and a lot yeah. more for mama cow to try to defend off as well. You know, she can't cover everybody. Right. All right, I found the picture. So this sucker, I don't know how well you can see that. That's a beefy dog, man. I don't know what it – you know what I mean? Like – I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like, I want to say it's a wolf, but I also know it's not super common to be a wolf. I'm I'm torn. Yeah. He's got pretty – his ears look fairly pointy from what I can see, and that, that's usually a pretty good giveaway. Them wolves got those rounded off ears for the most part. Yeah, I mean, maybe – I just – I'm looking at that chest cavity. Either way. Yeah. I don't know. It's a big dog. It's it, a big dog. Yeah. Either way, I mean, I yeah. can't shoot him if he's a wolf because wolves are protected here in Minnesota. But if it was a coyote, I'd probably get that thing for sure, like final tan, maybe even mounted. I mean, yeah. that would be a sweet coyote to have, just full snarl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. But, That'd be really cool. But, yeah, no, he uh, he came the same night. We set up a new stand, and then he, like, stopped dead in his tracks and then took off and i've never seen a coyote that really? big again i've seen lots of coyotes on that camera and to me coyotes mm-hmm. are like they typically don't have like a german shepherd chest all of us white tail hunters have experienced that feeling of frustration when a deer blows and busts you 
There's no faster way to wreck a hunt than when a deer catches your scent, and that's why I've started hunting out of Booner Blinds by Maverick. The ability to keep the windows closed and my scent under control allows me to hunt winds I normally wouldn't due to fear of getting busted. Just this last year, I had a nice 10-pointer walk 40 yards downwind of me, and he never even raised his head to check my scent. Maverick hunting blinds can also help you keep the pressure down on your farm so you can keep sitting that stand when you have a hit lister on a pattern and be ready when he finally steps out. Click the link below and head over to maverickhunting.com and use the code WESTERNROOKIE, that's one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save 10% on your next blind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of like more uniform and lighter looking. You know, they kind of look like a corgi to me or like a sheepdog. Yeah. And that one that I showed everyone, I'll have to put a picture on Facebook or something. To me, it's like it could be the angle he was standing, but he looked like he had like a beefier front end. Yeah. And yeah. that was in the summer. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah that was in big, like. That's a big dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have literally been someone's dog at that point. I don't know. I, mean, I <laughs> yeah. didn't see a collar on it, but it could have been a dog. I don't think a dog would have, like, reacted that way to smelling me. But. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, that's pretty. I wanted. I, I think I would like to get some furs. Do you ever keep any of the furs that you shoot? I haven't. No. Well, I shot a uh, my first fox this year. I shot a red fox, and so I, I kept that. I'm going to have that taxidermied. Uh, I'd like to do a full body mount, but I, I blew it up pretty bad. So uh, the uh, taxidermist would have to work some miracles for me, but I'll probably end up just having it just finished tanned. But yeah, yeah other than that, no, I don't I don't keep them. I, I always talk about wanting to do like a full-size body mount on a coyote just because of how much time and money I've dedicated to killing those things that I think it'd be cool to do one, but it's those things where it's like, you know, it's 1200 bucks for a full body mount. That's gas for quite a few hunts. <laughs> yeah. So. Probably 12, you know, 12 <clears throat> tanks of gas in the old pickup, but I'm a, yeah, I used to be a big pheasant hunter. I've kind of dropped that and chased big game instead. But my dad, my brother still very avid pheasant hunters and a lot of our farms are managed for pheasant hunting. And so for a long time, mm. I wanted to shoot like a giant rooster with my dog and then shoot a giant yeah. coyote and have like the coyote like flushing the rooster and like mm-hmm. right behind him, like trying to snap. I thought that would be super cool. And I was going to hang it like in that. I was a bachelor at the time, but I, my <laughs> house was a split level. And when you go up the split, it was a vaulted ceiling. And then you like had to like take a left and walk around. There was like a half wall, not really half wall. I mean, it was eight feet high but it didn't go all the way to the vault. And like on the other side of that wall was like part of the kitchen. It's like the fridge. It was just the backing wall for the fridge. I always thought it'd be mm-hmm. fun to mount it on like a, you know, an eight inch by, you know, six foot piece of like flat iron and like, you know, yeah. secure it in. But so you can't see that, mm-hmm. but just have that all up on that, like the top of that wall. I don't yeah. think my wife would have uh, let me do that now. Probably not approve of that one. Probably not. Yeah. No, probably not approve <laughs> of that one. But I've always wanted to do fun stuff like that. Like I want to, I really want to get a rattlesnake, put it in the bottom of that shed wall because it's like <laughs> it's like grass and habitat and dirt. And, yeah, and it would also keep her cat from eating on the grass. Yeah, it definitely would. <laughs> but then I would be like, I feel like it might scare the shit out of me too sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. We uh this this year during deer camp, we were we had just set up and me and a 
it was four of us that went up there and it was two different groups because the one guys had Friday off and me and my other buddy, we had to work. So we were coming up after work. And, and when we got up there, the other guys were out glassing and we were kind of setting up camp one night. We actually, we found a rattlesnake and we took it and we had stuck it in the beer cooler <laughs> and <laughs> left it in there for them other guys to come back to. And yeah, they, they about, they were about jumped six feet in the air when they opened that cooler and that thing just started rattling at them. Oh, Jesus Christ. You guys have some pretty sick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> we like to keep it interesting, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Are you guys, like, in the Army at all? No. Oh, uh-huh. I feel like that's definitely something, like, Army buds would joke with each other. Like, ha-ha, got bit <laughs> by a snake, loser. <laughs> like, <laughs> like... Uh, no, no, we're just dark-humored guys. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, like, you're going to find one of those things in your sleeping bag someday that some guy found and put in there. <laughs> I'm not a snake yeah. fan. I mean, maybe you get better at it when you grow up around them like you guys do, but, man, I am not a venomous snake fan. Like, I'm not afraid of them. I just hate them. Like, I will Yeah. I'll unload my rifle on a, a venomous snake. Yeah. Yeah, no, we – uh. technically, you're not allowed to kill them around here unless you are in fear for your life. I'd be in fear for my life if I was dr- reaching for a beer and I grabbed a snake instead. Yeah. That's like some Yellowstone well, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've seen quite a few different guys because upland hunting around here is huge. Right. Yeah. And so I've, I've had, I've seen a lot of guys that uh, have either lost dogs or dogs been put in the vet for quite a while getting bit by snakes. And so we, we tend to fear for our life about every time we see rattlesnakes for the most part. I would part. be, I would legitimately be feared for my life. I wouldn't tell anyone either. I mean, I'd just be like, yeah, scared the shit out of me, officer. Almost stepped on yeah. that sucker, and it's like, really? Your shot wad is like 40 feet away. <laughs> it's like, okay, I almost yeah. stepped on him, and then I ran away, and he started chasing me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I've, I want to make – I don't know if they're protected everywhere. I think it's probably state by state, I would, have, I would imagine. I think so, because I know a ton of guys kill them down in Texas. Oh, well, if I had livestock, I would be like, ain't no freaking way I'm letting the snake live. Yeah. You know? And a lot of people in Texas do have, like, livestock or exotics. We found a really weird-looking snake on our farm here in Minnesota. I'm like, that's got to be a rattlesnake, babe. Like, it's got diamonds. It's got all this small. And then, like, when you got close to take a picture, it was really short. So I'm like, well, he's only, like, 12 inches long. So if I hold my phone at 14 inches, he shouldn't be able to bite me, right? <laughs> and then he's his head got, like, really diamond-shaped or, like, really V-shaped. And I've always yeah. known, like, how do you tell a venomous snake? Oh, you look at their eyes and see if there's a slit. And I'm like, I ain't getting that close. Give me another option. They're like, well, you know, yeah. sometimes their head looks like a like a viper, like a like a triangle. Mm-hmm. They got those venom sacks. And I'm like, well, that thing looks like a venom snake, so I beat the shit out of it with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> I sent a picture of it to my buddy who works for, like, the USDA office doing, like, habitat projects. He's like, Oh, that's an eastern hognose snake. They're really good at keeping mice and stuff out of your, you know, farm. And I'm like, oh, well, he ain't good at it anymore. And he just sends <laughs> yeah. me the the Game of Thrones meme where it's like shame, <laughs> shame, <laughs> shame. And I'm like, I don't know. And then I looked it up. Like eastern hognose snake, first defense mechanism is to flatten their heads to appear venomous. And I'm like, well, it worked. Didn't defend you, but yeah. it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So. Because I've never seen any snakes, any live snakes until we bought this farm other than gardener snakes. Since we bought mm-hmm. this farm, I've seen a world record gardener snake, that thing, and then some goofy little red snake. Um, and I'm like, oh, I don't want this many snakes around. 
<laughs> We're not like in the West either. Like there shouldn't be, I don't know. shouldn't be that many snakes around here. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, the most of like the non, the gardener snakes, they don't really bother me. I just whack them. So they're not making a mess. Yeah. But, but no, I would imagine at nighttime, you probably don't have to worry about it too much. They're going to be gone. I mean, that would be the, like, if you just look at the scanning with your thermal and all of a sudden, like 10 feet in front of you over, there's a snake just staring at you. That'd be, that'd be a little freaky. Yeah. We've ran into a couple of, a couple of rattlesnakes in the dark running around in the summertime, but for the most part, they're, they're curled up under rocks and stuff off where you're not going to, you're not going to really mess with them. But yeah, it's only been once or twice that we've ever actually ran into them out and about in the dark and they're usually pretty lethargic once the sun goes down so they're not really out to try to bite you or anything even if you do dang near step on them so that's good but i would wouldn't yeah. mind a rattlesnake headband for my hat <laughs> i don't know how many i don't know how many get between like the finding the snake and getting the hat band made part i haven't figured that part out yet but yeah <laughs> i wouldn't mind that but Speaking of finding things in your thermal, besides coyotes, do you just see like a ton of deer and game when you're out at night? Because I would imagine, like, generally, like everything comes out at night, right? I mean, mm-hmm. deer, elk, whatever. Do you just like been to see like a lot of like exciting other stuff while you're out there, or does it pretty much go away once you start blowing on the call? Oh no, we see deer everywhere. Deer will actually respond to a lot of the prey distress sounds pretty aggressively. <laughs> Oh, really? um, so yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, if you're running fawn distress, definitely, but they'll come into the rabbits and whatnot. You know, we've had them come in as far as 50, 60 yards before checking out what's going on. But yeah, no, we see all kinds of stuff at night. I mean, porcupines, raccoons, deer. Uh, we actually, we seen a couple of elk the other night, but that's a pretty rarity because we don't have a ton of elk anywhere close to where we're at. We happen to be, we are closer to Spokane, Washington. It's, hour and 15 minutes or whatever northeast of us and we were up running around that way and we seen two bulls um just out in a cattle pasture that i was looking at them and i was like man those are pretty big i don't think those are deer they're definitely not cows and then we were able to kind of get a little bit closer and you could kind of see their horns and whatnot we were able to tell they were they were elk so that was pretty cool oh yeah can you also oh, you can't quite because in the summertime you the velvet lights up like a you know, on the piece it's full of blood and it's warm, right? But in the wintertime, mm-hmm. the antlers don't glow very much. No, uh-uh. They, they actually, you know, past 100 yards are really tough to see. If you can skyline them, it, they'll, you can pick them up a little bit better because the, the sky is always, you know, really cold. And so you'll have a, a pretty solid backdrop. And then their antlers are going to be having a little bit of heat just off their head. And so you can kind of see that. But, yeah, for the most part, you, you can't can't see antlers once they shed that velvet do you find a lot of sheds like maybe in the next two three four months when you're coyote hunting out there just being out there walking around Uh, no but i've always been the kind of guy that could step on a shed and if it didn't go through my foot i wouldn't find it (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah we've we've found a couple out coyote hunting in fact um like uh back in november i think it was I had two back-to-back stands where as I was walking to pick up a coyote, I found a shed going to pick it up. And so that, that right there was the most sheds I'd found in the last like three years. So that was, that was pretty cool. I was pretty pumped about that one. Oh, that would work. I mean, anytime I find a shed, that's like a bonus shed, I get excited like from the road or hunting and I wasn't expecting to find an antler. 
because I like I love shed hunting, as you can tell. I find a lot of them, and I mean I've had yeah. days where I I had a season where I put on a hundred miles and found five antlers. I was like about ready to be declared depressed, and it was yeah. what made it worse. <laughs> it was like it was the COVID year where like no one could go anywhere. Everyone was mm-hmm. afraid to leave their house. I'm like, I'm not going to get COVID. I'm like 25 years old. I'm super healthy. I'm, I'm fine. In the best shape of yeah. my life. Gas is like 79 cents a gallon. Holy crap. <laughs> when oh, Well, yeah, North Dakota, we got under, I don't think it ever got to 79. It got to 89. I remember 89. And I'm Jeez. like, this is What's perfect. your gas right now? Oh, like uh, 270-ish, 280-ish. That's impressive. Yeah, we're sitting at about three fifty at the cheapest pump in town. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we're pretty, but we're in the Midwest. I think the Midwest has always been a little bit lower. Like it's not California. I think Texas is pretty cheap. I don't know, but we got like a lot of pipelines like crisscross around here. So I think that helps a lot. But yeah, I was like eighty nine cent gas, dollar gallon gas. No one's out. I mean, this is gonna be the best shed season ever. Like I'm gonna just spend all <laughs> spring shed hunting. Can't do anything. Work from home. I found five antlers after 100 miles. And my wife did like 30, 40 miles too, you know. And she found yeah, one of the wow. five. Like, it was a horrible year. <laughs> and so I've had bad yeah. years. So whenever I find an antler, I'm happy. I'm really happy. Yeah, definitely. <coughs> but but so what does the, the season look like um, for coyote hunting? Like, you said you can do it all year round. Do you really hit it as hard in the summer? Or are you mostly doing it like in the from like the – you know, once you're wrapped up with deer and elk and any big game you're going to do through, like, winter and once spring comes around, are you pretty much done? Uh, no, I mean, I'll, I will hunt them year-round. I'll hunt them every opportunity I get, but um, we hunt big game pretty aggressively, you know, from August all the way through um, end of October, you know, depending on any draw tags into November – I'm either running around with a tag in my pocket or running around with a buddy that has a tag in his pocket between bears, elk, deer, and all that fun stuff. But we, we do try to get after them in the summertime. I really enjoy hunting in the summertime because you can get into those family groups. And when they're denned up real tight, they're extremely territorial. And so that's where you'll get a lot of those, you know, you see a lot of those cool dogging videos where they're running decoy dogs and stuff and getting those really aggressive responses. So we're not allowed to run dogs here, but you can still get some some pretty – pretty pissed off coyotes coming in you know when you get real tight into those den areas and start throwing different sounds at them and whatnot so that and the fact that you know you can go out there in jeans and a t-shirt you know you're not going to be all bundled up and go out there and freeze your nuts off <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's a obviously a pro i mean when they're denned up like obviously when they've when the is it pups i assume it's pups mm-hmm. when they first drop i mean they're not moving for a few days correct and, but yeah. they're also not coming out. Um, mm-hmm. Like, are you, I suppose the better question is, are you out there to like limit coyote numbers or are you out there to like selectively manage the coyote population? You know what I mean? Like, for example, I would kill every coyote I ever see on my farm because I want to manage the deer. Right. Mm-hmm. But I could see someone that loves coyote hunting and be like, I don't want to shoot them all. I want to shoot some of them. I want some of them to live and have more so I can shoot more later. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. There, short answer to the question, I kill every coyote that is old enough to run away from me. You know, if it's, if okay. it's a little six week, if it's a little six week old pup, that's just sitting there staring at me. It, I think it'd be pretty tough for anybody to pull the trigger, you know, unless you're a, unless you're a contracted government trapper that's out there to get paid to eradicate them. 
I think it'd be pretty tough to kill that six week old pup. But um, yeah, no, that being said, I kill them all. Um, okay. Anyone that doesn't run away, I kill it. Um, I read a, a uh, study on them. You have to kill more than 70% of a coyote population in an area before you ever make a dent. So you can kill 70% of those coyotes and they'll be right back to where they were the next year. That's how efficient they are at reproducing. Which is amazing because they only do one litter a year, right? Yes, but they can. uh, I read that they can control how many pups they have based off the resources available. So if there's not a lot of coyotes and a lot of food, they'll have a lot bigger litters. And then vice versa of that, if there's, you know, not too much food and a lot of pressure, a lot of coyotes, they'll have a lot smaller litters. So they kind of almost manage themselves. And yeah. Right. And a little bit. And the problem is like, and the, the trapper that was kind of training me said this, he's like, you're like, go ahead and trap. If you want, you're not going to make a dent. Like you're not going to be able to, like you might like push them off your farm, but if you have 40 acres, like you're not going to make a dent in like quality to your management. There's going to be 200 coyotes in the county and you mm-hmm. know, and your deer aren't staying on your, you know what I mean? And the problem is, like, even if you were able to, like, eradicate 70%, 80%, let's just say 85%, like, split the distance, right? 85% of the coyotes in a given year. It's like, okay, well, then they're just going to, like, if you if you let up on the gas, be like, oh, I'm done. Like, two years later, you're right back to the same. Yep. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it's a never-ending it really is a renewable I have, resource. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I have a couple of, a couple of buddies I went to school with. Their dad owns a crop dusting business around here. And he also flies a lot of the USDA agents around to aerial gun, a lot of the coyotes around here. And they went out and shot, I want to say it was like 56 coyotes by noon one day. And we went out there not too soon after. And we shot nine in a night, just calling. Wow. That's, you know, just talking about how many freaking coyotes are around here. I mean, it's a lot. That's, there is a lot of coyotes. That's why we got to get like you, me, all these coyote hunters and trappers. We got to get all together and we got to pull our resources and come up with like <laughs> really cool products that use fur to sell. Yeah. And that way we can like boost up the economy for fur and like get more. I mean, you probably don't want to like, no, actually I don't want to be a part of that. I want all these cows for myself because I like being the only one out there, but I'm more on like the deer side. I'm like, man, like it sucks when you go track down your buck, you leave it sit for two hours and there's already a pack of coyotes chewing on it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's tough. I've actually, I've never ran into that, which is surprising. We don't, we don't tend to leave too many deer lay sit around here. We're pretty, aggressive in our approaches but a lot of the land we're hunting like the stuff you're hunting you push a deer 100 yards and it jumps a fence and now you got to go bug somebody to be able to go out there or you lose it completely yeah see we can run it out here where it's flat i mean you can watch that thing run for a mile in some spots right when i'm in the west i've i've watched every animal i've ever killed drop yeah when i'm here though in a tree stand and i shoot that deer and he runs off it's like you know i don't film so I don't exact, like I have an idea where I hit them, but I'm not positive. And I'm going off of how it reacted. And like, if it's a gut shot or a bad shot with a bow, especially like you got to give those animals some time to expire. Like they, you know, if you mm-hmm. hit a liver, it ain't dying in two hours. It's going to take yeah. like six, eight, 10, 12 hours. It depends on how cold it is. So you basically got to leave them overnight. I mean, if you bump a, like a liver shot deer, that deer can run for those six, eight, ten hours. Like it could be in a different county, and you're never gonna find it. Like the blood trail is gonna dry up. 
if you leave yeah. them sit, a lot of times you can find them really easy the next morning, especially if you got cold temperatures. Like, it's not a big deal at all. I've done it many times and recovered them. But now, mm-hmm. with these coyotes running around, like, a lot of times they get bumped in the middle of the night. I mean, you can tell he bedded here. All of a sudden, there's coyote tracks, and deer's gone. You can tell he ran, never found him. Blood dried yeah. up. And I'm sure he was coyote food somewhere, you know, or the dough. Yeah. But, yeah, like, that's the problem. Yeah, I don't want – I just clarify that because I don't want people to think, like, I'm shooting deer and be like, oh, I'll get to that later. I got other stuff to yeah, do. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a different style of hunting in the east versus mm-hmm. the west. And that's kind of where yeah. the coyote issue comes into play is that coyote cuts that deer's tracks. He can smell or she can smell that that animal's injured, you know, by the glands and the deer's feet. And they just beeline down that track and that deer's in trouble. Yeah. Well, yeah, next time you do it, you ought to just sit on the track that the deer took with a headlamp and a shotgun and see how many coyotes you can take out before you go pick the deer up. Well, you'll <laughs> like this story. So last, it wasn't last year, the year before, I was bow hunting in a plot, and I have got this, I and mean, we've never been bow hunting this plot my entire life. It's my favorite stand to bow hunt. The does, like, we see deer everywhere, but there's every night almost, there's good for one doe to come out from behind me, and my tree stand kind of faces that way, so I can kind of see her coming through this really thin woods. In the, it's like a swamp woods, like a river valley woods, like you guys that have cottonwoods um, in, like, the river valleys and stuff, creek beds, edge of the an alfalfa field, kind of like that thickness. So I can see her coming, and then right as she gets to the edge of the plot, there's, a, like, a thicker edge, right? So she can't see me. So it gives me a perfect time to stand up, get my bow, draw, and she'll step out at like 15 yards. It, I mean, always. It's my favorite stand to go get fill some dough takes. Shot mm-hmm. a dough. I thought I drilled her. I mean, I I I did video that one. I sent it to a lot of people. Everyone was like, man, maybe like a little back, but not much. I mean, you definitely got lung. Like maybe like lung liver. You should have should you know be a dead deer. Everyone kind of concluded that. I did. My dad did. Everyone I sent it to. Like, five minutes after I shot that deer, a coyote came from the other direction across the food plot. And I'm like, holy shit, there's a coyote there. So I drew back. I put a knot, had another arrow knock, drew back, 40-yard shot. I need to start learning to shoot underneath coyotes, like shoot at their feet. Because they, they're yeah. so tuned in, and they're so jumpy. And so I yeah. shot. Arrow flew straight and perfect, but the coyote duck went right over its head. He takes off, but he had smelled her blood trail. I'm like, that's not good. Five yeah. minutes later, another coyote comes from this other direction. A completely different direction. This coyote went that way. This coyote's coming from this way. Like, it would have had to do hundreds of yards in within five minutes and yeah. circle all the way around. It's like, I could have, but I doubt it. Right? Yeah. And so then I try to shoot that coyote. I try to knock an arrow. He sees me or she, what I don't know. The dog sees me and bails out. I'm like, this is nuts. I've never seen. I've This was like the first coyote I've seen from the stand. Now I've seen two. I'm like, this is wild. It's meanwhile, yeah. my doe is supposed to be behind that bush. Yeah. All of a sudden, like five or ten minutes go by again, and there's two coyotes coming through the woods. Jeez. And so I'm like, one of them might have circled back, but there was for sure three. Sure enough, yeah. I come back the next morning. Doe's not behind the bush where I thought she was within the liver shot. Blood trail. We follow as best we could. There's coyote, like fresh coyote droppings on the trail, tracks everywhere. Oh, man. Dope jumped the line. Uh, we followed her for hundreds of yards with, like, specks of blood in between, like, 20 yards yeah. at a time. We're mostly following the coyote tracks. Never found her. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. So That's tough. Yeah. So if I would have – if I could have shot the first one, I feel like I – like, that. Fr- I think that first one did me in because he definitely smelled her tracks. Like, he 
cut her blood trail and started following it. And then mm-hmm. I shot. I tried to shoot him. I think he can't. I bet he circled back. Yeah. I mean, those things to know when they got a free dinner. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, if yeah, I got a bunch of stuff quit. to do, but someone offered me, like, a free dinner, I'm like, all right, I, I, I got a couple of things to do, but I'm going to, I'll remember that. I got you. I'll be there. Don't yeah. worry. You know what I mean? Like, this guy's yep. trying to kill me oh, quick, yeah. but I know he's going to leave in 10 minutes. So <laughs> let me, like, hide for <laughs> yeah. a little bit, then I'll be back. And so I'm yeah. sure that's what happened. But yeah, that's, and that's at a completely different farm than the, the 40 that I'm talking about. Like, I just think we have a coyote explosion here in Minnesota. Yeah, man, I think I think you should get yourself a hand call and get yourself your shotgun and go climb into that timber with them and do some calling. I think you'd be surprised how effective that can be. Well, I don't think anyone does it, especially not like on my neighborhood. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't. Um, I think there's probably a lot of like, the, like you said, those virgin coyotes that have never been called. Mm-hmm. I just got one during the day yeah. like the other day on one of my cell cams. No, oh, yeah. So, yeah. You'd, I have a perfect, like, elevated box blind that looks over this food plot that I could sit in. I'd have to get the call outside of it, though, and I'd have to have the windows down ready to go because I don't think I'm going to be able to move around much. But it might be better than yeah. sitting on the ground. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you'd be fine either way. In fact, the first coyote I ever killed was – it wasn't really a tree stand. Or first one I ever called in and killed. It was the second one I ever killed. We had – just being kids, we had built, like, a little – treehouse kind of deal up in the trees and i was i don't know i think i was 10 years old when i shot it and so i wasn't too keen on being on the ground with a coyote coming into the call <laughs> so i climbed up in this tree and started calling and yeah, i don't know how long i called for it wasn't too long because i feel like i didn't have too much patience back then and anyways he came bombing in i shot him at like 30 yards with a not six right in the face coming at me and it yeah it was it was pretty neat as the first one that i like i said ever called in and so it was from then on out, that was all I wanted to do. <laughs> and then we ended up moving up here and way better calling up here, way more coyotes, way better country for it. And so it never stopped and only only went further into it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to definitely do that. I'm going to do the shotgun thing. I didn't think, I don't know why I didn't think about that. I feel like I need a rifle. I don't, I can't, I can only shoot 50 yards. I mean, I got all these, I had a bunch of excuses, really. Everyone's going to call me out on it. That's what <laughs> I had. But so with the shotgun, it sounds like you've done it before. Like you got, you've tried. Yeah. So I must, do you need buckshot, like turkey low? Like what works the best for a shotgun? The best that I've ever shot is the Hornady. Uh, they, they got a Hornady load for them. It's called the Hornady Dead Coyote. Um, and then the, the copper plated double B is pretty wicked. But any number four buckshot is going to work for you. You know, what's a number, sure. a number four buck, number four buckshot is 24 caliber pellets. And I believe you get, how many do you get in a load? I think you get 21 in a shell. Okay. But, so you're talking like buck, double lot buck. You're talking like triple yep. quadruple lot buck. So like the fourth yeah, size the, up in buckshot, like real big. Well, it would be sizing them down. It, it's like, it's like shot. So the, the bigger the number, the smaller the actual size of the shot. So double op buck is a bigger pellet than number four buck. Number four buck's a smaller pellet, but you got more volume in there. Whereas like oh, but it's not seven. Like, sh- it's not like four shot like pheasant loads. No, 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 yeah, no. Okay. It's still yeah. buckshot. It's still like I said. It's those pellets that are in those are I believe they're twenty four cal, which is going to be you know. It, Basically, you've pretty got. Big. <laughs> that's pretty. That's like. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the same diameter that you're shooting out of a 243. 
And what's the distance? Know? Like, what range can you, like, shoot, not shoot? Because I know, like, with turkey hunting, like, you shoot 40 yards, you know him in the head. Like, they're not – they're just going to – So, with those number fours, you can get out there pretty far. The problem is, you know, you're not getting a ton of impact energy, a ton of hydrostatic shock. You're just de- – so, at that point, you're kind of just dealing with pinholes. So you'll kill them, but how far are they going to run before they, they bleed out enough to actually tip over? So where you know? would you say, like, if you shoot them out till X, you're a good chance you're going to drop them in their tracks, especially with a shotgun. Like, if I you would, shoot a coyote at 10 would, yards with a shotgun, it's you shoot anything at 10 yards with a shotgun, it's, you know. Yeah. I would I would definitely pattern your shotgun. That will give you the best best idea of what you can do. But I would say anything inside of 50 yards, you should be pretty much golden. Oh, really? That's farther than I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking like 20 yeah. yards, 25 yards. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I would say anything inside of 50, you should be good to go. And I, granted, I would I would keep shooting until he, he's not spinning anymore because a lot of times, you know, even with rifles, you shoot them and they'll start doing that little spin there. And half the times they tip over, half the times they come out of that spin on a dead sprint. So we kind of just shoot them until they're laying flat on the ground. But I would do the same thing with the shotgun, just – Keep filling them full of holes. Well, the other thing is I could put my slug barrel on. I have a rifled slug barrel with a cantilever scope. There you so go. the scope's like dialed into the barrel, not the receiver. Yeah. And yeah, that would. There I, you go. Then I could reach out to like, I could probably, I wouldn't want to be a coyote at 200. I can't shoot 200 at my farm, but I kill a deer at 150 with that gun. I mean, it's got a phenomenal energy and phenomenal accuracy. It just dies off at 150. Like, I don't. Yeah. 200. I had a 165 inch whitetail at 200 yards this fall for two hours. So if you were ever oh tempted to push it, you know, yeah. that would have been it. And I'm like, I just, I don't know. I don't know how much energy. This yeah. A lot of self control. That's tough. Yeah. Holy cow. I, I videotaped them for two hours with my phone scope. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Jeez. It was a heartbreaker. I thought he was going to come my way. I was sitting on a food plot. He was up yeah. out in some CRP grass, and nope, he went the other way. Jeez. But, yeah, that's no, tough. I might do it with my slug gun. I mean, that would be game over. Oh, yeah, that would that would put a hurting on him for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm shooting a 58-caliber slug that weighs 438 grains. Wow, yeah, you're throwing <laughs> a softball through him. Holy cow. <laughs> well, it's for deer. I mean, it's, it's the Hornady or yeah. the Winchester deer season XP, but, yeah, it's – it's cooking. It's going about half the speed, you know, of your bullet. It's only going 1,600 feet <laughs> yeah. per second. But it's, yeah. yeah, it's a bowling ball. Leaving a big hole, yeah. Yeah, so, no, I think I'll do that. Yeah, why wouldn't I? And when you say hand call, you're just talking like a little, like, electronic hit the button thing? Or are you talking like no, an man, actual, regular like regular old holding your hand and blow on it. And what noise? Like, you doing distress noises then? Yeah, like rabbit calls and whatnot. Uh, so, like the... Just to name a few, like the Primos third degree, that's a cottontail call. They got their double cottontail. Uh, Dan Thompson has a couple of really good hand calls. These are all under 30 bucks. These are cheap calls. You could order them online. Um, Dan Thompson's got a baby cottontail that's always worked phenomenal for me. And then you've got all the Les Johnson uh, line of calls, like the Ruffy Dogs and the Ruffy Dog Juniors. But, yeah, no, it's it's just a, a basic closed re- – it's like a duck call. You ever blown a? You've blown a duck call. Oh yeah, I'm not good at it, but I can do it. I can do an elk well, bugle way better. Do they have any mouth read options? <laughs> they do have mouth read options. Yes, they do for sure. But that's the nice thing about um, blowing on a rabbit call for coyotes is it ain't as you don't have to be as great as you do with duck calls. You know, as far as you know, your pitch can be whatever the heck it is, your cadence, whatever the heck it is. You know, you can watch 
two or three videos on YouTube of how you're supposed to do it and then go out and do it however the heck you want. And when, when coyotes start coming in, just keep doing that over and over again. Do <laughs> you, can you, when you're going to do vocals, like coyote vocals, is that all electronic or is there anything to do those by hand? Yeah, there's uh, diaphragms, uh, like what you're blowing with your elk bugles. And then there's um, just open reed calls, right? Uh, like like open reed elk calls. You know, they're just, obviously the reeds are cut differently to, to pitch a lot, a lot higher and get different tones to sound a lot more like a howl than versus, you know, whether it be a, a cow mew or a elk bugle and whatnot. But okay. Yeah, you, you you can do those by hand. I'm lazy. I love running an e-call because I love to just press a button and let the call do it for me. Yeah. But it's also really beneficial to be able to kind of direct traffic. You know, you can if, – if the wind's blowing one – you know, like let's just say if I'm setting up and I've got – you know, if I think the coyotes are going to come out of the north, you know, there's a drainage or whatever out of the north. And that wind is blowing east to west. I'll throw that call um, pretty far out to my east, so that when they bubble to the west, they won't be, you know, if let's just say they're bubbling 200 yards downwind from the call. Well, then they're only going to, if I throw that call 80 yards upwind from me, they're only going to be bubbling 120 from me now, whereas they're still 200 yards from the call. So you can use that to kind of direct traffic, put the coyotes where you want, and kind of limit their ability to win you and you not have a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's going to be, a, that's going to be an issue. Cause like we, we don't really have draws or funnels. It's all pretty much flat and it's all like thick Alaskan style alders and brush. Like, you know, they're in the swamp. It's, it's like willow swamp with like yeah. some of my openings. And so like, they could come from anywhere, and if they're trying to bubble without, like, they could easily bubble 100 yards, and I'll never see them. Well, it, that's the that's the other benefit to calling in that timbered stuff. They're going to try to see you bubble. first. Well, and if they do bubble, their bubble's not going to be as drastic as calling out here in the wide open ag fields or wide open sage, where they can see, you know, 600 yards. You know, you get into that stuff where they can't see that far; they're a lot more likely to just come right in and some of them will not even check when they'll come right up to you it's just you know? like an elk like they're gonna window you like as soon as they can see where the call is coming from they're gonna stop if they don't see something yeah okay yep and a lot of times they will yeah so i just sure. gotta be ready to shoot him as soon as he steps into the food plot yep and like i said there's always exceptions to the rule the the two things you can't ever say with coyotes is always and never because you know just when you think you've you've got them patterned to doing one thing. They'll do something completely opposite. I mean, we've had them come running straight, uh, you know, they're straight downwind of us, but running right to us. And they, they don't stop until they catch a bullet in the face. You know, every once in a while you catch one that's just dumber than the rest that somehow made it all the way to <laughs> right then and there when you're calling them in. And yeah, it's, it's fun. You're always seeing new things. You're always getting new reactions. It's very, very addicting. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have to give it a try, but until then, I appreciate your time here tonight, Hunter. Um, hope you guys have yeah. a great rest of your season and knock down another 93 coyotes. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. And if you if you do get out there and shoot some, let me know. Send me some pictures. I'd be, be happy to see it. Will do. Um, before we wrap up, though, give everyone a chance to follow along, see some of your adventures, where, uh, where pages you're active on, and we'll put some, excuse me, some of those links in the show notes for us. Yeah, so Instagram is pretty much my main go-to, and that's just OTC Hunter. Is it? 
Um, that's my at, um, Facebook. I have a Facebook page. I'm not too, I don't post on that very much, but it, it's the okay. same, same at there. But yeah, Instagram's pretty much where I'm going to be, be posting the most of my stuff. I feel like your Instagram handle could be worth money. I, that's so funny. You bring that up because I, there's a buddy on the West side of Washington and his handle is Austin OTC. And we never knew each other aside from knowing that this other guy's got like my same Instagram name. Well, I get going to college over here and I become really good buddies with this kid from the West side. And we start hunting together. And pretty soon he goes, Hey man, my buddy wants to come up and shoot some coyotes. I'm like, all right, whatever. And pretty soon we get to realize and it's this Austin kid that we've got the same, same Instagram handle. And so we've gone back and forth about who had the name first and who needs to change their Instagram name. And yeah, it's a funny deal, but yeah, maybe I should trademark it. I don't know. Or that, you know, well, I just feel like there's a ton of people that would love to have the like over the counter hunter hand, like being like a brand, like, like I feel like yeah. there's probably a podcast out there called over the counter hunter. Probably. And they've probably looked yeah. at your page like, ah, oh, that son of a gun. <laughs> yeah but awesome no we'll put a link down below for anyone that wants to check it out see some cool thermal videos of some coyotes eating some lead but until then thanks for being here hunter and thank you for listening folks